0: Verse 13, Paul says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. On Sunday evenings, we are studying through the very next book in the Bible, the book of Philippians. Last Sunday night, I talked a little bit about what it must have been like for the Apostle Paul to have been chained to a Roman guard. And we creatively thought about some of the conversations that might have been taking place there. I emphasize the fact that Paul said in Philippians 1, it was an opportunity for him to advance the gospel. And I said, he said, I've shared Christ with the whole palace guard. And there were about 6,000 of those elite soldiers who would have been bodyguards for Caesar himself. But after the service, I began to reflect on what those conversations might have been like. And the thought occurred to me that not only was Paul sharing things about his personal life, But undoubtedly those soldiers would have been sharing things with Paul from their own personal lives. And I wonder how many of them talked to Paul about personal conflict, hand-to-hand combat, battles that they had faced and survived. And maybe it was those kinds of memories and experiences that caused Paul in the book of Ephesians to reflect on their armor that they wore. Undoubtedly, they had on a uniform. But some of them may have even been, here we are. (laughs) Do I need to start over? Some of them may have been also wearing armor that would have prepared them for battle at that given moment. And I can see how Paul began to examine their armor and what was literal for them became a spiritual or figurative example of the kinds of armor that God gives to us as Christians to wear. And so for him naturally as he begins to bring the letter to the church at Ephesus which was circulated to lots of churches in Asia Minor to a close, he begins to talk about spiritual conflict. And all of the ways that God protects us and provides for us in those moments of heated struggle. That's his word here in Ephesians 6. We struggle. But as Paul begins to share with us all the things that God has given us, he begins to take part. Of the armor, and he says, Here's the application that I want you to make, and here's how I want you to see what God has done for us, and here's the victory that is ours if only we'll remember it. And see, that's the key part. I think about all the wanderings in the wilderness of the Old Testament Israelites, and the flaw that they had so many times was forgetting. They found themselves in difficult circumstances, impossible situations, and they began to grumble and complain and cry out to Moses and say, why has God brought us out here to kill us? We're going to die here. But all they had to do was to look back just to a former experience and realize that they'd been through it already. And because God was the same God, He was willing to do for them again what He'd done for them Already. So I want to encourage you to try to remember how God has provided for you. And even though He brought you through those struggles, those difficult experiences, and you may not have connected those situations to the spiritual armor that we're studying on Sunday mornings, maybe we can do that in the future. We've only talked about one particular piece of the armor. In my Bible, it says that you're to gird your loins with truth. But the practicality of that, I talked about the belt of truth last Sunday. And truth is the first piece of the armor that we have to wear, we have to put on. And there's an important progression here because the part we're going to look at this morning is the breastplate of that armor. If you don't put the belt on first, the breastplate won't fit. And so the belt is that of truth. Truth, you remember, is that understanding, that, that discovery of the meaning of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is the idea that you come to a point of realization and revelation where you understand who you are in light of who God is. And the truth about all of us is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And if you have embraced Him as your Savior, you continue to live in that truth knowing and believing and understanding that your life belongs to Him. And that you now live a life of service to Him and honor to glorify Him in everything and anything that you do in life. That is the truth of who we are. And that's basically what we talked about. Now, as you embrace truth, we need to always go back to the truth of who Jesus is. Never separate who you are from who Jesus is. Because the value of our lives is connected to that truth. I'm going to bring that out this morning because I want to remind you that so many times... uh, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of folks here this morning who are recovering from uh, falls. And uh, they're, they're a little sore. And I promise not to make them laugh too much in the service this morning. Some of you are saying, will it'll be too difficult. You don't make us laugh much anyway. But, uh, you know, there's this such thing as self-deprecating humor. And what that means is wh- when you make fun of yourself, deprecating means to depreciate your own value. And I think self-deprecating humor is appropriate at times. But if if you're constantly putting yourself... If you're constantly thinking of yourself less than you should think of yourself, you know what you're doing? You're depreciating Christ and who He is. You say, how is that possible? Because your value is connected to who Jesus is. That is the truth of who we are. Now Paul comes to the next piece and he says, I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now now think about this for just a moment. The breastplate we get, we understand it's that piece of armor that was worn on that frontal torso. In latter days, it also wrapped around the sides and to the back. Now, if you read about the history of the breastplate, especially through the Roman army, here's what you're going to find. That depending on the post and the assignment of the soldier, that determined the kind of breastplate that they wore. For instance, early on, I'm talking about early days of military armor, they would wear a simple board on the front. It was made of wood, most of them, and they were covered with a fabric that was impervious to cutting. You couldn't cut it very well. The common phrase today, we hear a lot of materials are being made with Kevlar, and that is the idea. They they had a version of it, although it was very primitive back in those days. Now, uh, I don't know if many men here will connect with this, but the ladies will understand. Ladies, I, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to. Pigeonhole you, but if you'll go home and enlighten your husbands on this, they'll also understand it a little better. Ironing boards have a cover on them, right? And that cover is there because it reflects the heat of the iron as you're ironing over clothes. And, and, and some men do, do, do this occasionally, so you know a little bit about it. The, the old breastplates that were first worn by Roman soldiers look like an ironing board version of it they came down to about the way some of them would come a little longer but they were covered with some kind of material now later on that they had this much more developed and progressive kind of breastplate that was filled with metal and glass that was also much difficult to penetrate but it wrapped around the entire body all the way into the back Think about the torso, the anatomy of the human body. What are you protecting when you put something on to protect the front, the sides, and the back? You're protecting the heart, the lungs, the kidney, kidneys, and the liver. Now here's what's interesting about that. When you read through the Old Testament, and in some cases there's a reference or two in the New Testament where the heart is referred to as the deep-seated uh, place where we think. And it's an unusual kind of connection here, but Jesus do it this way. He said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the protection of the heart is the idea that you are also protecting your mind. Now that's a little unusual. We're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. And there there we'll see a little more because when you put the helmet on, we understand that protects the cranium and the brain and all that's housed in our head, right? So we'll talk about the helmet, Lord willing, later. But the heart was protected with the breastplate. Well, when you look at the kidneys and the lung and the liver, those were commonly referred to as the bowels in the Bible. And you know what the bowels were depictive of? Our emotions. Now think about this. These writers were so inspired by God, they give us great insight into what happens when our emotions are thrown into upheaval. It is the idea that, 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 that our emotions can get out of control. And you know, like I do, that there are sometimes when we get upset, what happens? Our stomach hurts. We begin to have chest pains things begin to take place. Now that's a very, very stark... It's kind of an abrasive reality of what happens when when you throw yourselves into this emotional upheaval. That begins to happen, but you're protecting the mind and the emotions. And the emotions bring stability in the moment of that conflict. In other words... A soldier needs to keep his mind straight. A soldier needs to be composed. A soldier needs to make sure that everything is in order and all things are in place when he goes into that hand-to-hand combat. And so it is for you and me. When we face the enemy, when we face our spiritual struggles, we need not get all untethered and unraveled. We need to be composed. We need to be thinking the right way. We need to be mindful of whose we are in light of who God is. See the connection there between the emotions and truth? Now Paul says, not do I just want you to put on the breastplate, I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I want you to know I thought a lot about that word this week and every time I talk about righteousness in church. I I think about, you know, it's it's a high dollar church word. I mean it's it's a big word. It's not a word that we use commonly in conversation. Uh, Unless you've been to church, you don't you don't hear non-church people talk about somebody being righteous too much. Now, years ago there was a singing group called the Righteous Brothers. (laughs) They don't count. That that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Righteousness simply stated is this it's being in a right relationship with God. It's being in right standing with God. That's a very simple, elementary definition of righteousness. You know, you look at yourself and say, Am I in right standing with God? Well, we're going to talk about how that occurs and what that's like. Because in the Bible, there are three different kinds of righteousness. Are you ready for this? Number one is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? If you've been to church on Sunday morning, you remember we studied through the book of Daniel. We talked about it, a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar on his roof, the palace... He looked out and he said, what? Is this not the kingdom that I have built with my might for my glory? All about himself. And Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was in right standing with the Creator because of all that he had done and all that he had accomplished. You remember the rich young ruler that Jesus encountered? Rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? His question was, how do I get into a right standing, a right relationship with God? Jesus told him to keep the commandments. Remember, and Jesus only talked about a few of the commandments, not all of them. And the rich young ruler said, all those things I've done since my childhood. What was he doing? He was declaring himself righteous. And he says, thank you for your answer, Jesus. I, I've done all that. And Jesus said, then go sell all that you have. And give it to the poor. Jesus brought a different element into that that the young, rich, young ruler could not accept. And the Bible says that he turned and walked away because he was sad. Jesus had, to, had a lot to say to the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders in the New Testament. And they were the ones who lorded over the people and said, in order for you to be in a right relationship with God, you have to do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do And they had this long, elaborate, complex list of routines and procedures and things that you were supposed to do and not supposed to do. And Jesus had a lot of negative criticism for the Pharisees. But you know why? Because he was saying you've declared yourself righteous and you're not righteous. That's a self Righteousness. In one parable, Jesus said, a Pharisee stood up in the temple, in the synagogue, in a place of worship and said, Lord, I tithe, I attend church, I do all I'm supposed to do. Thank you that I'm not like that publican sitting in the back. Jesus said the publican, who was a tax collector, you remember, was seated in the back, couldn't even lift his face because he was so humbled by the thought of, him being in the presence of God, and the publican said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, Pharisee, do you think went home the more justified? The Pharisee or the publican? And the obvious answer was the tax collector. Because he was the one who presented himself in humility to God, not focused on himself, like the Pharisee who was constantly focused. You see, if we're not careful, we can evaluate our own lives, and our evaluation is always to our advantage. Because we want ourselves to be seen as someone who is good and wholesome and right. And, and if we're, we're not careful, we'll declare ourselves righteous. But the righteousness that Paul is talking about here is not self-righteousness. There are two other kinds of righteousness in the New Testament. And you're going to have to just bear with me on this. The, these are difficult terms for some of us. But I'll try to make it as clear as I possibly can. Two other kinds of righteousness. The first or the second kind of righteousness, I guess I should say, is imputed righteousness. You know what that righteousness is? That's when you trust Jesus as your Savior and God says, you're in a right relationship with me. That's imputed righteousness. God imputes, God, God transfers His righteousness to us. Is not anything about us that can be of merit or value. It's all because of who God is And what Christ has done for us that he says, because you in humility have asked Christ to be your Savior, I declare you as righteous. In Romans 10.10, listen to this now. Paul says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With our heart, we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. It's the idea that you've gone to the cross... And standing at the foot of the cross, you realize there is no greater love than when a man lays down his life for others. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you. And you say, I trust Him as my Savior. I can't match that. I can't do anything, any combination of things throughout my entire life that will anyway come close to what Jesus Christ has done On the cross for me and I accept him as my savior. Like the woman at the well Jesus said if you'll drink the water I give you you'll thirst no more. And for those of us who are Christians we know what that's like because the truth we've embraced the truth of who Jesus is and we are content in our spiritual journeys because we've met Christ and he's meeting all of those primal needs that we have in our own life. And we say, I no longer do I need to search for contentment or meaning or purpose or all those kinds of things because Jesus Christ has accepted me, he's saved me, he loves me, and in him I find all the contentment that I need. It's the idea that Jesus, heaven, your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness. Heaven's bread, I call it. But all of them that ate that bread, they died. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Eat of the bread that I give you and you will hunger no more. It's the idea that you and I have been to the cross. We've drank of the water that he offers. We're eating of that bread. We are sustained because of him. It's imputed Righteousness. God declares us as righteous. But there's a third righteousness in the Bible that you can't leave out and it's imparted righteousness. And the difference between imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness is this. Imputed righteousness is God says, I declare you to be in a right relationship with me. Imparted righteousness is the quality of the life we live because he's declared us righteous. You know what that means? That means that there is evidence in your life and in my life that we've been to the cross. There's evidence in our lives that we've drank of the water. There's evidence in our lives we're finding strength from him because we are eating and consuming of the bread of Christ. We are allowing Jesus Christ to live through us. Romans ten ten With the heart man believes unto righteousness. Here it is. But with the mouth, with the tongue, confession is made unto salvation. It gets better. Truth is all about doctrine. It's all about teaching. It's all about belief. But righteousness... Is the practical side of that truth because doctrine always affects ethics. It is the idea that you and I live a different life because we've been declared righteous. And because he declares us to be righteous, we want to live righteously. And that is we want people to know that we're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're not ashamed of him because we're proud of him. We honor him, we love him, and we serve him. And so we're not afraid of letting others know that I belong to Jesus Christ and my life is not my own. You say, well, why in the world do we need the breastplate? Why the righteousness of God to be declared in a right relationship with Him? I'm glad you asked. It's because of the deceiver, it's because of the accuser, it's because of the enemy, it's because of Satan, it's because He comes to us and He tells us the truth of who we are. We're saying, He goes to God and he tells God the truth about us. And then he comes back to us and he lies to us about God. It's the idea that he comes and he whispers in our ear and he says, how can you think of yourself in a right relationship with God when you think this way, when you behave this way, when you do this, when you do that? all of us continue to struggle with the old nature. The old nature of wanting to call the shots, wanting to live the life that we want to live. But as Allie's saying so beautifully for us just a few moments ago, it is the idea that every time I trust my own heart, I get it wrong. And we understand that. And so we say, God, every day I give myself to you. I don't live my life, but you live it through me and when satan whispers to us and tells us doing ourselves those things sometimes we begin to believe him and what are we doing we're devaluing ourselves and as a result we devalue christ sometimes we say negative things about ourselves sometimes we get so stuck in a rut and routine that we find it difficult To forgive ourselves for something that we've done. I want you to claim 1 John 1.9. I want that to be your verse that you carry with you every moment of every day this week. Because that verse says, if we confess our sins, he will be faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, well Bill, that's, that's what a person does when they come to Christ. 1 John was written to the church at Ephesus. It was written to believers. It was written to Christians. And if that is true, then that verse means Christians confess our sins. So that we can depend on the faithfulness of God to declare us righteous and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we say bad things about other people. You know why we say bad things about other people? Sometimes it's because we know the truth about other people. And I just want to caution you this morning. Just because you know the truth of someone else does not give you the right to repeat it. Just because you know the truth of someone who may have messed up, slipped up, who has sinned privately, publicly, whatever it is, does not necessarily give any of us the right to bring it up. I'm thinking about some wonderful stories. I'm thinking about Corey Ten Boone. Corey Ten Boone, who talked about the fact that the devil would come to her and he, he would tell her that she shouldn't talk so blatantly and openly about Jesus and how much she loved him and how much he loved her because she'd done so many things wrong in her life. Cory Ten Boone said, every time the devil comes to accuse me, I tell him... God has taken my sins and He has spread them as far as the east is from the west and He's buried them in the sea. And He didn't just bury them in the sea. He put up a sign and it said, no fishing. (laughs) That's true for you. That's true for me. If we are forgiven from God, we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's a truth we need to carry with us today because the breastplate can protect us from the whispering of the accuser or accusers even when we ourselves accuse ourselves. I love the story of a a writer who was sitting in his library and he was just typing away on his laptop writing a book and all of a sudden he realized that there was a window washer outside, one that he'd contracted with to wash the windows on the building. And he said he, 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 he'd stop because he could hear that the window washer was talking, and so he was curious to know what the window washer was saying. And so he began to listen, and the window washer began to say things like, You know, these windows get dirty from time to time. All the rain and the dust. Wind, sleet, snow. These sure do need to be cleaned from time to time. I love cleaning these windows. All of a sudden the window washer realized that the author inside was listening to him. And he changed his message just a little bit. This is what he said. You know... Life's windows get dirty from time to time. All the thoughts and the words we say cause life to get dingy, dirty, grindy. Then the window washer said, I can't clean those windows. Only Jesus can. already talked about bunyan's pilgrim's progress once already let me talk about another story christian who represents you and me is traveling to the holy city and that represents jerusalem and in the story bunyan says that christian comes to what he referred to as the slew of despondency depicting just down on life and in the pits satan comes to him there And Satan begins to accuse Christian and tell him all the things that's wrong with his life and why he's really not in a right relationship with God. Bunyan says that Christian stands and says, You're right. I am who you say I am. I am a sinner. And as a matter of fact, Bunyan says, Christian says, You left some things out and I could add to the list. He says, but I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because of Him, I am forgiven and I am clean. This week, if you struggle with your own value, your own worth, and a sense of appreciation for who you are, think not of yourself. But think of who Christ is, for He loves you, and He gave His life for you. you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank You for this message this morning. I pray that You would apply it to any and every heart here. You know us, Father, so much better than we know ourselves. I pray that if there's any person who's in need of Christ, that because your spirit would convince them of the need to trust Jesus as their Savior, that they would come. During this invitation time, say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. Follow Him in baptism and ask this church to help me grow in my faith. Father, for all of us who go by the name of Christian, if there are Christians here looking for a church home, because your spirit would lead them, let them come. Unite with this church family. Father, for all of us who go by the name of Christian, let us see ourselves today through your eyes. This is our prayer in Jesus' name for his sake.